Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. So I, I usually call them everything cookies, um, pretzels, chips, uh, every kind of you know, chocolate, butterscotch, peanut butter, caramel chips, um, different kinds of chocolate, chopped chocolate, chocolate chunks, chocolate chips, crunchy things, salty things, um, dried fruit, anything. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Andrew Ray is the man with the sharp knives behind Binging with Babish, a wildly popular YouTube channel and series of food and food-adjacent productions. We could call them short films, actually. On this episode, we catch up with Andrew about his great new book, Basics with Babish. We also go back to find out about the founding of this company and community and what he's been cooking and eating around his hometown of New York City. It's so fun catching up with Andrew, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Andrew Ray, welcome to This Is Taste. How you doing? Good. How you doing? It's great to see you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm sorry that that's a tongue twister with those two consonants next to each other. Yeah, we. I'm a Rod Bard, so it's challenging in life when you have these things going on. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I have a very hard time reading <laughs> damn well anything, even to myself, but... I love what you do, Andrew. I, I mean it. I, I think I've been doing food media for a while, and, and it, this is the most exciting time. I think what's happening in, in short form and middle form video and the way people are learning to cook through their phones and major credit to you and, and many others in the world. I, I just love it. Uh, the the amount of creative expression with everybody having a camera in their pocket is absolutely unbelievable. There's incredible niche stuff like Steve 1989 MRE Info where he just taste tests MREs. Um, there's this Canadian guy that I love that just makes these very quiet, relaxing videos. And then there's a, a plethora of instruction. And then spectacle people going out and making, you know, 10,000 burgers or, yeah. or, or uh, seeing how different cooking is in different parts of the planet and it, it, it's it's pretty incredible oh yeah like so yummy boy i think you're referring to i love yummy boy yeah. laurent dejeuner joshua weissman and you i i just feel so and do bop of course tina Choi. i gotta show oh, yeah. her out but to me it's like and i want to ask you i feel like you're democratizing foods more than ever before you're getting people to have these these use their phone to learn to actually cook or at least enjoy food do you, do you feel like you're actually getting people to, to to do what we've been trying to do in food media for the past 20 years which is like understand and love food uh, thank you and uh, i mean it's it's really the vulnerability that comes with cooking media uh on on youtube and other socials is there's a um an honesty to it there's a sort of raw personal honesty that's something i've tried to do on my channel as much as possible show my mistakes when i spill something i i I always show it because it's funny but also because it's makes it more relatable and it makes it seem more accomplishable for the person at home so that's that's a pretty common thread throughout um maybe not social media but through especially through youtube uh, Mm -hmm. uh food creators is this 
vulnerability, this sort yeah. of naked honesty about what they're doing. Yeah, and it feels like it's less edited than a television show, but of course it's not. You're editing a lot and you're making it feel effortless, right? If anything, there's more editing than a television right. show because, uh, you know, some of the shows that we make um, uh, uh, that have all the outtakes in it, that have all the spills and, and bleeps and all this stuff, there's there's a um, there's an artistry to it. My my editor Brad works very hard to make the edit interact with my behavior on screen. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 uh, it's it's a labor of love, but uh, you know we absolutely love doing it. What you do, too, which is kind of unlike some of the others I mentioned, is you actually bring many into your fold, and it's kind of the Babish culinary universe. And I guess, how do you recruit your your members of the universe? How do you, What do you look for in, in folks that enter your world? I mean, we're looking for people who are, um, like I said, honest about their the things that they're making. We want it to be uh, uh, very personal, very vulnerable, um, people who are knowledgeable, people who are fun, and uh, people who are love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another common thread amongst YouTube creators. Generally, you started because you love this stuff so much that you had to make a show about it, and you had to keep making it until it took off. So it, it, there's a whole lot of love in, in, the, yeah. in the food media coming out on YouTube. And so we're looking for people who are extensions of of Babish as a brand as as a as a company which is as entertaining as it is informative <laughs> as uh slick as it is self-effacing and and yeah. uh, uh sweet and and informative those, sweet uh, and informative <laughs> and and funny and inviting at times too oh, which is great i guess i i want to ask you about your your future plans in terms of the the, the, the trajectory, do you, do you want to have your own television channel? I feel like it, it goes there if linear uh, is, is part of your, your, your future. I mean, I so I went to film school. Um, I didn't go to culinary, so content creation, we used to call it filmmaking, uh, <laughs> has always been central to what I'm doing. Um, in the more immediate future, I have a short film that I want to start working on. I've been making basics and binging uh, my two flagship shows for seven years now, um, almost actually coming up on eight soon. And um, especially with the writer's strike and uh, SAG after strike that are currently at the time of this recording still active, um, it's precluded me from being able to make the pop culture show binging, um, mm-hmm. which so that that's a huge creative hobble and I want to try something different. So I have this concept for a short about food appreciation and the sort of web of people and, and resources and trust that, that envelops the entire globe and something as simple as a ham sandwich. There's, there's elements from mm. all over the world that you're putting that you, in every bite. In just a, a, a jambon bear or like just a typical ham and cheese. It's all over everything. Typical ham and cheese. I mean, think about, you know, even the most basest of uh, deli ham mm-hmm. has spices in it that were mined in God, God yeah. knows where. Like the, the, there's so much that goes into every little part of a seemingly simple day-to-day life with food, but with, with everything. Yeah. I want to try to make something that's a celebration of the incredible complexity of supposedly simple things. Yeah, your videos are are your, your content or your films. I like to, let's call them films. Let's just go there. I feel like yeah, I can call them content. let's be proper. Let's be proper. No, let's respect it. But they, they really do have a, an edge to them. They have a real eye for, for visuals. There's cinematography moves in it. I guess, let me ask you, Andrew, what, what in your estimates makes um, a great cooking video and also one that pops on the algorithm? 
Oh, boy. Well, you're asking me at the wrong time in history. <laughs> the algorithm <laughs> is hurting uh, these days. It's it's hurting us, at least. I, yeah. I, I can't speak to others, but um, uh, straight up cooking instruction is not performing the way that it used to, which is one of the many things that's motivating us to make different kinds of content. I still want to make instructional cooking, but we have a lot of interesting concepts that are going to be exploring um, food history, uh, uh, uh different kinds of origin stories, um, different ex food experiences around the world. So we, we, we have a new show, uh, coming out that, um, where I'm going to basically give a directive to four correspondents in different places around the globe. Show me what you get for a hundred dollars at your grocery store. Love that. Show me where your favorite late night, you know, snack, street snack is. And we see these common experiences in very, uh, disparate places and we see this sort of universal experience, but the unique, the, the uniqueness of everybody's. Are you shooting them with crews in each of these locations or are they no, like, it's, it's going to be sort of self-produced self -produced. On, on their part. Uh, we want to keep it, you know, simple and, and, yeah. and, and nimble too, because we want to be able to skip all around the world. Um, so we're working on that. That's, uh, in pre or in production right now, actually. Um, I'm working on some longer concepts. I, uh, have the bed and babish coming out, mm -hmm. which is a, um, a foodie vacation rental. Uh, <laughs> I've been building it for the past, God, almost two years now in, in, uh, Narrowsburg, New York, which is yeah. up in the Catskills. Uh, yeah. and it, it, it's too, beside being a modern, lovely cabin in the woods, it's also going to be, um, uh, a place to go if you want to learn how to cook, explore your own cooking or try some new recipes. There are going to be a la carte options for the fridge to be full of groceries or some heat. So this meals. is something that you're actually doing as like a tourism venture. Yeah, no, I, I, this is this is my first hospitality play. That's a hospitality. That's what, I was thinking because I was thinking when you're talking through it is like, is this content? Is this like your version of living in the Catskills? But this is actually you can go rent this. Yeah, the the, the the rentals are not open just yet because right. we're still putting siding on the place. But <laughs> it's going to be done by the end of the year, and we're going to be able to start taking reservations soon. It was all inspired by virtually every Airbnb I've ever stayed in has it might it might say Chef's Kitchen mm -hmm. in the listing, but there's two dull knives that have gone through the dishwasher more times than mm -hmm. any other you know thing in the kitchen. Uh, th there's a cracked cutting board, and there are two you know aluminum. Pots. And some crappy Pyrex, probably. Yeah, yeah. No, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I wanted to create the antithesis of that. I'm lucky enough that I have a brand of of, of cookware and of kitchenware mm. of, of every almost every aspect of food prep and service, and I'm going to be able to put fresh, sharp, ready, clean tools yeah. in this place so that people, cool. no matter what your level of experience, you're going to be able to go there and explore your culinary. You get to see bears ideas. up in Narrowsburg too. Apparently they're, 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 uh, they're up there. The, the uh, nature cam on the property caught a bear literally day before yesterday. Yeah. And yeah. also there's a lot of nesting eagles in the area yeah. because it's right on the Delaware River. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the Catskills. It's Thank great. You. So we'll link to it in the show notes if it's if it's, if it's it's live by the time this goes live. Um, I love that you're doing that. Let's talk about Basics with Babish, your, your new cookbook, which I love. As I said, it's it's really terrific the way you kind of control the, the narrative and it feels extremely you. There's no compromises. Um, you have a really cool section that is, is called Do's and Don'ts, not the Vice Magazine version, but your own <laughs> version. Um, and I want to go over a couple of them. Don't don't bite off more than you can chew. Let's go over that a bit. I, I guess that's something I've been guilty of a lot in the past, especially when you're starting out. You might, you know, set your sights a little bit too high. And I think preparing simple 
uh, um, uh, delicious things just just as as cleanly and as uh, effectively as possible is much more impressive if you're hosting a dinner party or if you're making something for somebody that you have a crush on uh, than, you know, a, I don't know, multi-course tasting menu or mm-hmm. molecular gastronomy or any of that crazy stuff. Yeah. Like, so learn the basics. That's what the books is all I, about. I like that. And follow recipes to the letter. Um, if you're just starting out, let's remind our audience what you're saying there. So um, there's actually the following don't is don't follow recipes to the letter, which okay. is confusing. Yeah, yeah But <laughs> if you're just starting out, I do encourage people to follow every single step. Treat your ingredients list like a to-do list before you even get to the body of the recipe. So if it says half of an onion mm-hmm. finely minced, do that first. If it says a tablespoon of this spice and a teaspoon of this spice, measure all, all that out first. It's mise en place. Yeah. Uh, one of the hardest things to learn about and to execute when you're starting out in the kitchen, I think, or maybe just because I'm disorganized. Um, but uh, 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 so treating the ingredients list as a to-do list and then, yeah, following each and every direction, especially if it's a recipe you haven't tried before and you don't have a technical grasp of of. And then the following don't is don't follow recipes to the letter once you learn the basics. If you mm-hmm. Once you understand how the food is going to behave in the recipe that you're going to make, that's when you can start playing jazz. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great reminder that even the intermediate cook, you have to have your shit ready because once you fire, it's like go time. That anxiety we have when you once once fire is, is integrated. My favorite recipe for mise en place is uh, stir fry because... There's, you know, 15, 20 elements, uh, depending on what kind of stir fry you're making. And the entire dish is cooked within three minutes because of this insane high heat and things just getting added. You cannot prep anything while you are cooking stir fry. Everything has to be ready to go. Let's talk about the digital scale for a second. It's without question way easier to cook with a digital scale and you, you have a great piece of writing about it. Yet... We don't write cookbooks with digital scales with, with volumetric measures. I'm sorry, with weight measures, we use volumetric. And we just kind of reject them as, as American home cooks. Does this frustrate you? Um, no. It took me a long time to get around to using scale. <laughs> I resisted hey, it, too. Respect the honesty. <laughs> I'm into this. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm an amateur. Yeah. Um, so I, I have the amateur experience, which is why I read this book. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, scales... First off, they're cheap now. You can get one for less than ten bucks. That's yeah. will last you forever and is perfectly accurate. Um, and it's first off, you're making less dishes because you're not using all these measuring cups, and <laughs> uh, things come out better. They come out more reliably, especially bread. Things that were you know the the hydration ratio matters, and the uh, uh, you know the gluten development, all every aspect of it matters. Um, so I. Uh, tried to include weight measurements over volumetric whenever possible and necessary. I think there's one recipe at the end, the brownie recipe, where I left it in cups because brownies are just kind of... It's know. a cup recipe. It's yeah. one of the first ones we do. But but definitely back to like using weight, it's just, it's faster, but also you really can mess up when using volumetric, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I can't remember by what ratio, but measuring a cup of flour it can, can vary wildly. I think something in terms of, you know, 15% in, in either direction, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, especially in a bread, that's going yeah. to completely nuke. Or a cookie. Or a cookie. It really, really messes it up. Yeah. So it's, it, 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 like I was saying, it, it, more predictable results, um, replicable results. Yeah, than, yeah, it, yeah, totally. Yeah. 
I like the section you you add to your head notes, how I screwed this up. And <laughs> I feel you. this is an extremely fresh point of view uh, for a cookbook writer to actually to talk about errors because it's supposed to be like the voice of God or a voice of culinary God um, in the in your head when reading a recipe. But no, you messed stuff up. Why was that important? Uh, for the same reason that we were talking about how YouTube food media is different. And uh, it, it, it's that vulnerability. It's that honesty that makes you as a viewer more likely to give it a try yourself. And the one of my older videos, Pasta Ilo Olio, must have been my third episode, I think, um, I made a little mistake with the garlic cloves where I tried to do the shake to peel method, but oh, yeah. I did it in a, in a you know Tupperware, so it wasn't rigid. So it That was work. like Instagram 2008 or something yeah. when that came out? Yeah, no, that was back when food hacks were food hacks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I screwed it up and I poured whiskey about it and I left it in because it was funny. But... It, that recipe, not only because it's simple, but because I, I, I showed that, you know, even in a recipe this simple, it's still easy to make mistakes. And if you do, you know, have a whiskey about it, if that's your thing, mm -hmm. and <laughs> and move on. And um, I wanted this this book to be an extension of that, but also acknowledging the fact that my entire culinary skill set is mistake derived. I didn't mm -hmm. go to culinary school. Yeah. I don't have any formal training. So anything that I've learned, I've learned from trying and failing and trying yeah. again. <laughs> when people call you chef, what do you, what, you, what goes through your body? What feeling? I say thank you. And I say, I don't deserve that title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. Yeah. Cause I mean, I love that. That's why you connect with so many people because you're just, you know, you're, 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 you're very proficient and obviously know how to teach, but you're not a professional. Absolutely not. <laughs> and, um, uh, I, I, I wanted to make the book a, a real life sort of tangible piece of that. And so I included how I screwed this up with every recipe because I wanted to help people avoid those pitfalls. But sometimes the pitfalls are just funny. They're not things that people would do. They're something that I, I would do because I'm dumb. And uh, I just wanted p people to feel more comfortable with making mistakes. It sucks yeah. to make mistakes, yeah. especially when you're, you're hard on yourself, which I am. And uh, uh, to, to, to take some of the weight off your shoulders about that, it's, 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 it's encouraging when you're trying to learn something 100%. new. Do you, do you, you wrote every word in this book, it seems, because your voice is so clear in the book. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. no, I, um, Kendall Beach, my kitchen producer, oh, cool. did a great deal of recipe research and, and helped me uh, fine-tune the recipes and came up with a few of her own as well and uh, very grateful to her. But, yeah, no, I read all the head notes and yeah. all that stuff. It's really fun, and, and it really it's a good read, and which is hard for a cookbook. When you and Kendall and, and others are talking about pizza and you're talking about how you're going to approach pizza, and there's many ways to do pizza. How do you think about pizza when, when, when writing a recipe? What style of a pizza are you going for? It's the reason that, that pizza is on the cover of the book was that I saw this collocation of uh, YouTube thumbnails back to back. Um, my original pizza basics from like eight years ago or mm. seven years ago and a more recent pizza dough episode, and the improvement was massive. And it was because I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I was using a Neapolitan dough because I thought, this is a superior dough, mm -hmm. and cooking it in a 500-degree oven with some pizza stones and stuff not going to work. Um, it, it, it dehydrates far too quickly unless you hit it with that incredibly high heat, so you end up with a, a big wafer, big cracker, and uh, um, the cheese burns because it's spending you know too much time at too low heat. Uh, just turns brown and wrinkly. Uh, so I saw this huge difference and I was like, wow, 
making mistakes has shown me a lot. Yeah, this and, is a uh, great your your pizza journey is impressive. Well, thank you. And 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 yeah, learning that Neapolitan dough is a very specific kind of dough. Now, um I really like blender mac and cheese. I like what you're doing here. So let's explain that a bit. So, um Kendall had a fantastic idea to make uh, an episode of Basics called Carbonara Anything. <laughs> so we had recently learned from uh, Luciano Monosilio, who's a celebrated Italian chef, who was part of the panel of Italian chefs that like ripped me a new one over my carbonara. And <laughs> he, he taught me how to make a cacio e pepe using the blender. So you basically put your cheese in the blender, you pour in hot pasta cooking water, it emulsifies into a perfect, unbreakable sauce. Brilliant. And then I started doing that with carbonara in my free time. Just egg, uh, egg yolks and the Parmesan in the blender and slowly streaming the hot bacon fat. You got a foolproof carbonara. And uh, so then I, you know, we thought, let's apply this to mac and cheese. How do we, how do we make? Because mac and cheese is so deceivingly hard to make oh, for yeah. such a simple thing. You know, either you're mixing orange powder with milk or you're trying to make a roux. Mm -hmm. Like tell tell somebody who just wants mac and cheese for a snack to make a roux. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's like the instant, which is like one zone to go in. But most people only eat that on necessity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 uh, uh. With the roux, like you have to, then have to make a mornay, which is so easy to break and so easy to um, overheat, and it turns grainy or not heat enough, and the cheese doesn't melt. It's it's a nightmare. So we wanted to streamline and foolproof and 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 uh, uh, just make this a, a fifteen minute dish that doesn't take four pots and pans, and um, so it's a, a one pot sort of with one pot one blender, and uh, you cook the pasta in milk, which makes this nice starchy milk that's perfect for emulsifying into a sauce. Some egg yolks for stability, richness, and all this cheese, and you you stream it in through the blender, and you get this crazy creamy like almost that sort of barbecue restaurant style mac and cheese where it's like really creamy and super yeah. smooth, not a hint of grain to be found. In fact, if you ever make a, a roux and a Mornay sauce and you get a grainy throat in the blender. <laughs> yeah, you'll fix it right away. I totally have done that before. And also, you're talking about like the bricks that you get at like a great barbecue restaurant. Do you make it like the night before and then reheat it? Do you prefer that method? Oh, no, I'm thinking, I'm sorry, I'm thinking more of the stuff that comes in the... Uh, uh, oh, the tubs, the, yeah, the, the styrofoam. Tubs. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, it's really creamy. Um, but yeah, I do, yeah, I, get I, it. I do love fridging, cubing, and... Fridging, cubing. Eating the next day, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Is it worth making a scotch egg at home? I've never attempted this. That's, if you have a place within driving distance to get a scotch egg, I'd say no. Thank you for being honest. I think that is probably a good good answer. There's a bunch of re recipes in this book that unless you specifically really want to make it, I wouldn't recommend tonkotsu, tonkotsu ramen. Like if you have a ramen shop that does a halfway decent job, it's a day and a half long process. It takes a million different ingredients. Um but uh, uh, is, a, is a scotch egg worth making at home? Um, one thing you can pull off is the runny yolk, which most places won't do. Um, it's yeah. dastardly difficult, but I think at least, but uh, uh, it's doable and you have that control over it. And also you do have control over what spices you're putting in the, in the sausage mix. Like you, you have some opportunities yeah. to experiment there. So the answer's yes-ish. It's like a brain, uh, you have a certain brain for, for the, doing a scotch egg at home, I feel, a certain mentality. Then again, most people probably don't, at least most people in the States probably don't have a good scotch egg within anywhere within their zip code. Fair so point. So that, that would be a good reason because I do recommend having a scotch egg before you die. 
Is there any recipe you won't tackle or any concept you won't tackle for a, for a recipe? Oh yeah. Um, uh, Reese's, uh, not Reese's, the peanut butter chocolate, but Reese, the character from Malcolm in the Middle, mm-hmm. he makes Thanksgiving, he stuffs a turkey inside a monkfish. And I don't want to ruin a turkey and a monkfish in an afternoon. That sounds horrible. <laughs> so I'm saving that for my last ever episode yeah. because it'll, it'll just the ruin tur- me. Turkey monk. Yeah, there's no the, way to the say termunkin. it. Yeah, termunkin. There you go. You got it. That's why you're. That's why you're you. You come up with the term. Um, anything else? Any other one that you just won't even touch? Um, the beginning of Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, which is a fantastic movie that starts with one of the most mouth-watering cooking scenes in history. And everybody always asks me to do it, and my response is the same. This is somebody who's made it their entire life to become to, to, to be this proficient at making these insanely complex dishes, and I don't know how to do it. <laughs> so I, I'll just... You're, you're going to have to wait a, 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 a lifetime so I can, I can catch up. Um... Why is it okay to serve pink meatloaf? Um, well, I mean, especially if uh, you're putting pork and veal in there, it's not going to, you, you wouldn't want it to come out straight gray. You'd want there to be some color and sort of rosiness to it. Um, I, I don't want it to be pink as in medium rare. That's no good. But it, 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 it also shouldn't be slate gray when you cut into it. That's the worst. I mean, gray meat in general, there's really no, no, place for that in food. No, no, just my school cafeteria in the late 90s. Yeah, definitely. I know that. Um, Master Cookie Recipe, you created one, and you've made choices with this recipe. So what makes your Master Cookie Recipe work? Um, Well, there's a couple little secret ingredients in there. Brown butter, not big secrets. Um, uh, uh, Yeah, brown butter, a uh, tablespoon of very finely ground coffee, preferably hazelnut coffee, is a game changer. Wow, a flavored coffee being used in a cookie. I love that. Hell yeah. That's smart. It it makes them darker, so it adds color. How how good does freshly ground hazelnut coffee smell? And then add that to, to a cookie. And then my other big thing is to put whatever I want in there. So <laughs> everything. So I, I usually call them everything cookies, um, pretzels, chips, uh, every kind of uh, you know, chocolate, butterscotch, peanut butter, caramel chips, um, uh, different kinds of chocolate, chopped chocolate, uh, uh, chocolate chunks, chocolate chips, um, uh, crunchy things, salty things, um, dried fruit, anything. Wow, Just I love that. Dried load fruit. it. Do some cherries in there. Oh, yeah. Man, you're making me think about just riffing on ideas, and I, I love I love the, uh, that you can make a cookie anything you want it to be. You really can. Um, it is, it, we usually just think of chocolate chip cookies as just that, with or without nuts. But what it really is is a great substrate, like like pasta. Yeah. Like, you, you know, it, it, it's it's got unlimited capability to to carry so many things, so you might as well load it up. I'm still thinking about the coffee, Andrew. I'm like, I'm thinking like Gloria Jean's coffee bean in the mall in like the 90s. That's when, you know, hazelnut coffee hits. Yep, right next to the sausage gift basket stand and the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the fun factory or, or the, the place that's like the arcade. Yeah. Build-A-Bear, yeah. Build-A-Bear. Yeah. We're, we're, we're riffing right here. We're, we're talking about 90s malls. Um, before we get to our last section, I want to hear about restaurants. You're in Brooklyn. You travel a bit. What are some restaurants this fall that are exciting you? Mm. Um, I mostly have my stable of, of uh, go-tos go near my house. Ooh, let's um, do it. So one of my favorites is Oxalis. Uh, have you have you been? Oh, they they I think they just got their Michelin star. Yeah. Well-deserved. Uh, it's a very accessibly priced tasting menu that uses a lot of like very creative um, 
byproducts. Like they would, they, they make their own cheese and butter and everything. Oh, they take the whey and they cook it down to a caramelized state and put it on tomatoes, stuff like that. Mm. Unbelievable. Um, it, it, they also just opened their sister restaurant, Place de Fets, uh, which is yeah. also a great That place great has gotten, hang. I've not made it over to Place de Fets, but that was like last last year it's been big for those guys oh yeah um leland eating and drinking house that place has taken off i'm very happy for them um and then uh manhattan is like my occasion place i only you you know when you move to a different borough the other boroughs become yeah other states yeah and so if i'm if i'm coming into new york uh, or sorry into manhattan for dinner i'm I'm going to some place crazy yeah i mean the 70s in the 70s is like that manhattan is new york like you went that you reverted to that way yeah yeah on This Is Taste, we ask guests about the discerning taste. So to close this interview, Andrew, here's a little rapid-fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? I'm very bad at answering questions rapidly, but I'll let's, try. Let's do it. Best The best breakfast. Best breakfast is a bodega bacon, egg, and cheese. Ham, egg, and cheese for me. Oh, ham. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you're cool with the bread? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the on the bodega. Uh, I'm always held back by the bread. Oh, That's God. The now, now you got me. I'm sorry. I'm also remembering Republic in uh, LA, LA makes the most unbelievable breakfast I've ever had in yeah. my life. It's just the two eggs any style, mm. uh, roast potatoes, and, and a little French press just for you. Just for you, Margie <laughs> Mansky. What a, what a genius. Yeah. Love that place. The best dessert. Best dessert. Uh, okay. For me, it's going to be anything chocolate. I usually just eat plain chocolate because I'm an insane person. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, Chocolate and peanut butter, um, so, you know, some sort of loaded up chocolate ice cream. That's yeah. my thing. The best post-workout meal? <sighs> Frosty cold beer. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're crushing some weights and just you're just pounding, yeah. Back when I used to ride a bike a lot, <laughs> that's the thing with cyclists, so that they always end long rides with a beer. So now it's like a bad habit. It's like, yeah. oh, I just had a great workout. I should have a beer. It's carbohydrates. <laughs> Undo what I just did. Yeah. All right. No, sorry. Best, best. Best post post workout, Um, whole wheat quesadilla. You get some fiber in there. You get some protein. You get some vegetables, and Mm. it's just satisfying and very quick and easy to make. Very easy. Your favorite American fast food chain? Oh, what defines fast food? Good question. Up to you. Oh, you uh, make the rules. Interesting. Okay, (laughs) all right. So, major franchise. How about that? Sure. Arby's. Someone was shading Arby's online recently. How there's like no one in the Arby's. And I was like, are, are, is Arby's going out of, out of business? Because I fucking love Arby's too. I hope not because I love those gelatinous loaves of beef <laughs> that they shave off and fry up. I don't care. I love it. And those curly fries. And those Jamoka. horsey sauces. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, oh horsey sauce all yeah, day. All day. Your favorite cookbook of all time? Basics with Babbage. I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> probably uh, probably Bread Baker's Apprentice, Reinhardt. Um, yeah, just, Peter just, Reinhardt, legend. Learned so much from that book. Yeah, it's a cool cover too. Yeah, no, it's, it's like the, 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 she's holding the bread very affectionately, but also just like an, there's an artistry to it. It's I can't a, describe it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a joie de vivre. Great book. I, I love that book. Your favorite recent new, maybe new, kind of new, sort of new cookbook discovery? It's probably going to be uh, Texture Over Taste with uh, by Josh Weissman. <laughs> I mean, that's great. I mean, it's not it's not a discovery. He's the, one of the hottest selling authors in, on the planet right now. Rick Martinez's cookbook, Mikosina. That was uh, I, I go to that all the time. Um, Love it. And um, uh, there's so many great cookbooks out right now. Reed yeah. Drummond's coming out with a cookbook yeah. the same day as me. Oh. Molly Baz's cookbook just came out. Uh, uh, so uh, Whaley's cookbook. Everybody's coming out with a cookbook this fall. You've got a beautiful list of authors right there. I love them. 
Nice. Many have been guests on the show. I think maybe all of them have been yeah, on the show. Yeah, I saw Ham was on here. And yeah, Ham was on here. Sola, yep. The most overrated piece of kitchen equipment that is in your kitchen that you never use. Like, it's a tie for me between the microwave and the sous vide. Both have incredible hmm. utility, and I rarely use either. Really? No yeah. microwave? And, and no wow. sous vide. Either. Like, sous vide, I'll use when I want to make a steak exactly right, but yeah. I also just prefer to just fire it. Just yeah. go. Yeah, sous vide is, has, has its day. Yeah, and it's just so complicated and detail-oriented, and I'm not I'm not a detail-oriented guy. So, like, it, 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 yeah, it's it's been a tricky relationship between me and sous vide. Let's flip it. The most underrated piece of kitchen equipment. Oh, geez. Big cutting board. Oh, yeah. Big. Yeah, go like, you know, 40 by 40. If you can, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. That kind of counter space in New York <laughs> yeah, City. Yeah. Uh, 24 by 16 <laughs> is like a blessing. Because I mean, so, every time we, we, you know, move into our first kitchen, we go to Ikea, we get the three-pack. Yeah. The smallest one, you couldn't even chop a carrot on. It's the size of a pamphlet. And it's utterly useless. And to have a big work surface big area to like make a little bit of a mess yeah. and have a pile of carrots over here it, it, it's it's game changing your favorite vegetable brussels sprouts how do you do it mm, roasted with and then finished with um with like honey a little bit of honey and some chili and stuff like yeah. that. yeah so sweet sweet sweeten it up and finish it that way it's yeah. nice last one your favorite sandwich i am my death row meal is a uh, chicken parm so chicken parm hero is probably going to be my favorite ah sandwich. Yeah, chicken parm hero. Not just so that it could be, uh, you know, a schnitzel without the bread. But you're like chicken parm with the bread. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> something about it. I don't know why. It just makes for the best sandwich. I especially put some fresh basil in there. That's why I love parms. Uh, yeah. the, the one that parm makes, like so they put good. these leaves of fresh basil in there. It's the best, most satisfying sandwich eating experience for me. Sorry, second. Uh, very close second is in my hometown by extension Wegmans, uh, DeBella's subs. You ever, you ever have DeBella's No, I haven't had that. I don't know that name. It's a, the best bread in the world. DeBella's. We call them subs up there, not here. Where's this from? Uh, Rochester, Rochester, New York. York, Yeah, where I'm from. I love that. The book is Basics with Babish. Thank you, Andrew Ray, for joining This Is Taste. Thanks so much for having me, man. This Is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbard. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening. 